everyone, this is Caleb, and I am so grateful that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Catherine Burns from uh, from The Moth. And if you're not familiar with The Moth, uh, it's a nonprofit based in New York City dedicated to the art and craft of storytelling. And today, we're going to talk a lot about um, a brand new uh, book, which has come out recently called How to Tell Stories. And it's from uh, and it's from uh, a lot of people at the math or from the for the moth, which Catherine is one of those people. And the subtitle is The Central Guide to Memorable Storytelling from the Moth. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, there's really three core uh, beliefs or three core uh, values that drive a lot of what we do here on the podcast. And the first one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them completely or not, whether or not we agree with them on everything or whether or not we agree with them 100%. The other one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything no matter what that is, because everything has something to teach us. And we're going to get into that a little bit with uh, the, just the idea of learning to how, learning how to tell better stories today. And the last one is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because as, as the world just continues, um, unfortunately to sometimes become more divisive and focused on uh, division and winning uh, arguments with people. It can be really hard to have good conversations with people. And here we wanna have good conversations regardless of whether or not we agree with each other or not. We could still have productive, healthy, and respectful conversations. Now, uh, as I mentioned, you know, today we're talking uh, a lot about stories with Catherine and stories is something that uh, I, I think I've had a fascination with it for a, a long time. And I think in the last probably year or two, just really realizing of just the role that uh, stories play in culture and how uh, they are one of the, the best forms to communicating ideas, if, if not the best form to communicating ideas. And that's why I think it's important for us to, um, to become better storytellers, because no matter what profession you're in, stories can be a part of it and it doesn't even matter if it's in your profession it can become or it can happen in in your personal life too particularly as it pertains to uh, engaging in topics which can sometimes be a little bit more challenging to engage in there's something that just penetrates uh our our hearts our souls um like stories do stories have the power to be able to contain sometimes difficult truths that just uh push through all of our barriers. And that's part of the reason why I'm really looking forward to bringing this conversation to you with Catherine. Now, if you have any ideas or anything that you would love to learn about on the podcast, I would love to learn from you as well. And the best way to reach out to me is learners corner podcast at gmail.com or with, if you just have something that you're really excited and are looking to share it with somebody would love to hear from you there as well. And now let me tell you a little bit about the moth and let me tell you a little bit about Catherine and then we will dive right in to the podcast. So the moth is a nonprofit group based in New York City dedicated to the art and craft of storytelling. It was founded in 1997 
and it, the organization presents a wide range of theme-based storytelling events across the United States and abroad, often featuring prominent literary or literal, yeah, literary and cultural personality personalities uh their mission is to promote the art and craft of storytelling and to honor and celebrate the diversity and commonality of human experience and as i mentioned today i'm talking with katherine burns who is the moth's longtime artistic director she was born and raised in alabama and now lives in brooklyn with her husband and her son as well and without any further wait here is our conversation Well, Catherine, it's so good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. We, I am so thrilled to be here. Thank, I'm a new fan, and thank you so much for having us. Yeah, and uh, just as we're getting started, one of the questions that I would be really curious to hear is, uh, do you remember what, what first got you interested in stories and learning about stories and telling stories? Absolutely. So I grew up in a really small town in Alabama, and my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, would always tell me family stories, you know, stories about when she was a little girl, because she had grown up, of course, at the turn of the last century. I mean, she's still, I believe her father actually died when like a horse and buggy like ran away with it. You know, it was like, they're still like from this old world. And she would always tell me these amazing stories. And I would beg her to tell them to me over and over. Like one of the people sometimes, because we coach the stories, they're like, how can you stand listening to the same, same stories over and over. And, it, and for me, it's like listening to my favorite song on the radio. And so, and, and I think I grew up just begging my grandmother, tell the one about, tell the one about. Um, and so early on, you know, I really fell in love with it. I also, my best childhood friend is now a novelist. And so we grew up, you know, making up, uh, you know, fun stories that were always a little based in reality, a little based in fiction. So early on, I realized the magic of like talking out stories with another person. Mm -hmm. um, but of course I didn't really know it could be a thing. And I actually became a filmmaker. I was working in TV and film when someone told me about the moth and I moved to New York city. And one of the very first nights I was in the city, I came to a show. This was back in 2000 and I just fell madly in love with it. Oh, uh, one, just as you were talking, it even got me thinking, even your background in TV and film, um, are there, like, what are the differences that you've seen between, like, you know, you got your family stories, you got your personal stories, yeah. and then also we have, like, these grand, like, narratives, like, you know, you have, like, the Lord of the Rings or yeah. like, different novels and fiction, or you got the Marvel Universe. I'd just be curious to hear about stories like that, just from your perspective as well, and, like, the differences or the similarities between some of those. Totally. I mean, it's extremely, I think in the end, stories are stories. People are drawn to them. And what makes a great moth story isn't so different to me is what makes a great Marvel movie, you know, that the character has stakes, that you understand what makes them tick, that you understand what they most deeply care about besides saving the universe, of course. Yeah. Um, that, that there's always a, in a really great action movie, there's always a very specific, I think, deep why in the character that makes us care. I mean, one of the things that the moth is we say, who are you at the beginning of your story? And who are you at the end of the story? And why do we care? And that sounds harsh, but what we really mean is like, why do you care? Like if you can convince us why you, of all the stories in your life, this is a story you're choosing to tell and you can really make us feel that reason, then we're gonna, gonna it's gonna matter to us just as much as it does to you. And I think that's true whether you're reading a novel or seeing a film, 
you know, if we understand deeply the main characters, like what they're trying to do, whether it's like the quest with the ring um, or, you know, it could be like a really small story, but if we can understand why it really matters to the person in the story, then we're going to be with them. What helps, or what have you seen that helps people convey like the stakes in their own stories or help people understand like what matters most in the story? Yeah. I mean, usually it's like really just getting to, to dig into their why, you know, it's like, um, and sometimes people don't even know their why when they start out. Like a lot of our stories start out as anecdotes, you know, which I, I would define as just something that's just a little light, a little fun, something you might tell at a cocktail party, a bar story, we might say. Um, and so when somebody doesn't know what story they want to tell, I'll often say, well, what are the story that when you have a new best friend or a new girlfriend or boyfriend that you can't wait to tell them? Because even the shyest person has some usually, I mean, almost always. Um, or what are the stories that your friends ask you to tell to their friends? Because often, even if it's something a little anecdotal, there's something that once you dig into it, that can be revealed about them. Like there's a reason why this is the story they tell. Um, and it's really fun trying to help them figure that out. Like even for myself, like I have a story that I, the, the story, my probably most requested personal story, I've never told it at the top, but it's about how um, at our rehearsal dinner, that restaurant deliberately double booked us with an actual wedding, just being cheap and trying to get two things. And so it created this total chaos where the groom for the other wedding got really upset. He came in he threw chairs. It was insanity. And so, but, and so that you can see how that's like a crazy fun bar story I tell. But the truth is, is, you know, my husband and I were from really different backgrounds. I'm from the South. He's from this like very Jewish New York um, kind of immigrant. If you go back, you know, they were, you mm -hmm. know, came over to Ellis Island. Um, my family's like Southern back, you know, 400 years. And um, we were from these really different families. I think his family was a little bit freaked out by my family, vice versa. And so, the truth is like having this crazy, like essentially a bar fight break out in the middle of our rehearsal dinner bonded everyone. And the next night, you know, cause we had had an unusually large rehearsal dinner because my husband's family is one of these like 40 people at Thanksgiving type things. So our rehearsal dinner was like the size of somebody else's wedding. Um, but it really bonded the two families. And it just also made me realize that even if everything goes wrong, it's going to be okay. Cause what really matters is like that we're all here together not to sound like a total cheese ball um, or after, after school special, but like, so there's just an example from my life of something where I usually tell the anecdotal version, but if you were to push me on it, it was really about something much bigger, like these deep fears I had about how the, this union was going to go as far as our families. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about like how you go about setting the, because obviously, you know, you can say, uh, here's why this matters, you know, yeah. <laughs> to me, or here's why this matters. Um, but that's not always the, the best way to go about it. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts of like, how do you like continue to like up the stakes little by little so that like yeah. by the time that you get to like, in your case, like the dinner people are understanding, oh, here's why this is a big deal because you're coming from two separate families, yada, yada, all of that different stuff. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is that we teach in the book is like to try as much as you can to convey your feelings through scenes. Like, as opposed to saying, um, I was nervous about how my mother-in-law would react to my uncle who's a minister. Mm -hmm. um, I would put in a scene where 
I'm the second time I met my husband's family was at my cousin's at his cousin's bat mitzvah and how freaked out my mother-in-law who was coming to my house for the first time was because I have a photo of my mother who died when I was young next to this like little kind of Mexican metallic cross because my mother was like very Christian and the sight of this cross combined with my mother-in-law's nerves over this bat mitzvah caused her to really react so I was like, oh my goodness. You know, so I would try to give you a little scene there yeah. versus just saying my mother-in-law seemed a little bit freaked out that he was marrying this like girl from a Christian family from the South, right? Yeah. Um, because if you can take us into a scene, it's just going to pull you deeper into our emotion. Like you you feel it with me. You, know, you, you experience it with me as opposed to me just telling you that I experienced it. So that's one of the things we usually do is like when we sit down with a story, it's like, what are the scenes that can convey it? And usually you end up start having too many and you have to cut them down. But if you can tell something in scenes, it's usually going to resonate a little bit better. Otherwise it can be more like a verbal essay where you're just telling us. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm following you on that because it's almost like, you know, you, you start your story and you go, Hey, I'm uh, you know, we were getting ready for my wedding and we had the rehearsal dinner. Now the last time, my family right. interacted okay and then you and then you tell the story yeah. and then there you like it you travel with them because it's like oh shoot it did not go well last time it might not go well this time right, right? okay and also because then i also feel like i completely i have never broken down one of my own stories in interview this is so fun but i hope not totally <laughs> self-absorbed um it was just like versus like dragging someone else through it. Yeah. Um, but it's also, I feel like I totally bonded with my mother and father. I'm very close with them now. Um, and so one of my favorite moments that night was that the other bride was understandably really upset and crying. And my mom, my husband's mom came up to me and said, you seem fine. Nobody's with the other bride. Do you mind if I just go talk to her and comfort her? And it just made me love my mother-in-law so much yeah. she was mindful of this young woman um it was just so sweet and also technically you know my husband's family was hosting it because it's technically hosted by the grooms tra- tra- traditionally yeah and but we had booked the whole thing it was like not their fault and so it was actually not our fault at all nor the other you know it was it was the restaurants but um the fact that they were so chill they were just very very chill about the whole thing yeah, versus you know, my dad, I'll throw him under the bus here because I'm sure he'll never hear this. But he was like, who booked this place anyway? I'm like, daddy, you know, really? Me. So yeah. So but, but my, whereas my in-laws were just sitting there like with their hand on her shoulder, just like very calm. Um, and so it really, I feel like that was the very, that was to me like the deep beginning of my mm. bigger relationship that I have with them to this day. Mm, that's cool. What are some other uh, parts that make up a great story besides, you know, letting people know what the stakes are? Yeah, well, definitely, like we talk a lot in the book about beginnings and endings. Beginnings and endings are very important. Um, like where exactly you're going to start, like you want to start, sometimes people like to start right in the action of a story, and then maybe flash back to tell us something we need to know. That's a way. But, you know, usually at the beginning of the story, you sort of say, what do we need to know to start with? in order to follow this story. Um, mm-hmm. we, like, we, we sometimes we refer to this like as a tent pole. Like what is the thing that with, if we don't know this about you in the very beginning, we're not gonna be able to follow to the end. 
Um, and one of the things we, uh, we often say is if you don't have your ending, if you're struggling to find your ending, it often is because maybe something's wrong with the beginning. You know, that like when you have the right beginning, it's easy to figure out where you're going to end. And so if you're struggling there, go back to the beginning as opposed to just keep circling with the end. Um, so it's like, who, where do you start the story and where do you end the story emotionally? Um, as far as like, not what you learned. We, we try not to make the Matthew after school special, you know, what I learned in school. But we do look for stories where there's some fundamental shift in a person, where there's some change. You know, change is really important, at least for this style of storytelling. So, you know, who are you at the beginning? Who are you at the end? And we strongly recommend memorizing your first line. We generally don't recommend memorizing because um, it can just be stiff. And we find that once somebody writes a whole story out, it's hard to get them off the page once they're on it. And you don't want your story to feel written. You want your story to sound like you're just talking to a friend over lunch. But if you memorize that first line, you're, look, you're gonna be very nervous at the beginning, right? So you walk out on stage, you're looking at the audience. And if you just know exactly where you're gonna start, it gives you confidence. And then we also recommend memorizing your last line because we find that even the most seasoned raconteurs will get up on stage, especially after a few glasses of wine, and they will say, well, I guess that's my story and just wander off stage. And we're like, no. So it's like, like, know where you're going to end and then stick your ending like a gymnast, you know, because, you know, and I never spoke to her again. Thank you. And walk off. Um, because that just, it's really satisfying for the audience if you know exactly where you're going. Mm -hmm. And it keeps you from doing this thing where a lot of times people, like, they don't quite know where they want to end. And so they just keep throwing in extra stuff. We call it circling the drain. <laughs> and it's better to just decide exactly where you want to end and end there. Hmm. Can you give some, you know, some advice on like what, what helps you create like a good first sentence or what are like some things that you do to create that good first sentence and that good, like, you know, lay it, that, that good, like punch for the last sentence also. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Um, it's like how you sort of determine them exactly. I think I always like a first sentence that just takes you right into the heart of it. We give like lots of examples in the book of like really great first sentences. Of course, none of them are in my head right now, but um, any kind of a sentence that just brings you right into the stakes and, you know, where are we? How old are you? What's going on around you? You know, is there a problem? Is there um, a decision you have to make? Is there an issue in your life? Just tell us. I like to just like really directly do it right out of the gate, I find. And then we're just right in the story because moth stories are short. They're only 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And our slam stories are actually only five. So there's just not a lot of time to beat around the bush. You know, you have to, to get in there. Um, and as far as choosing a last sentence, I also like the last sentence to be in a, to be tied in, if you can, in what that overall all change or arc is for you. Um, mm. Can be quite beautiful. Yeah, even... Again, I'm I'm going to use your story as a little bit of an example, and you can you know kind of say, hey, that's a good sentence or that's a bad sentence yeah. or so. But I was even thinking like for a good sentence of the story that you were just saying of like uh, it was the day before my wedding or it was our it was our rehearsal dinner and I didn't know what was going to happen, yeah, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Any well, I would say that I'll tell you this. I would actually not have me say that. Not to mm -hmm. no, you're good. That's I that's why we're talking. Giving it away, you know, it's like you don't want to. I mean, obviously, if you're telling the story, but you know, something's going to happen. But it's like you don't want to like give away that something like super surprising is going to happen because you know they don't know where you're going and you always want the element of surprise like sometimes people will want to say this is a story about and we always tell people not to do that like just start in with your story 
Um, but you definitely could like start, you know, it was like the day before my wedding and I was feeling very, very nervous. You know, my family was flying in for the South and like, just get it. You know, you know, the last time I had been at sort of an official thing with my in-laws had been blah, you know, and this had happened. Yeah. So that exactly, um, like to just take you right into it. Um, I also thought and say to people, like sometimes when someone's told the story a lot, they'll say they have like little licks that they do. Like there's always the same way they say something and that that's completely fine, right? To have things that you just get, cause it's like, it makes you comfortable. You get to that point. Like um, I like often when I tell the story, the moment where we realize there's another wedding party, my brother-in-law turned to me and he, he's, he's very dry sense of humor. And he's like, oh no, oh, 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 oh no, here's the, here's a bride, not you. And that's how we realized that there was this, you know, woman in a white dress walking into the room. And we were like, oh God, you know, and I always tell it that way. And I always will also point out that my husband was stuck in a cab with all the wine. Cause it was like, bring your own beer. Very classy place where we were having our wedding rehearsal dinner. Um, it's like my favorite, like little, um, one of my favorite little restaurants. And so, but, but I always say, my husband was stuck in a cab in traffic with all the wine, which at the time we thought was a huge problem. <laughs> you know, we had no idea what was to come, you know? So um, yeah. And then when he finally shows up with the wine, he has a broken glass, every chaos everywhere. My sister just reached into the container, took the bottle of wine, popped it and drank it right out of the bottle and handed it to me. <laughs> so I always say those things the same way, you know? And that's okay, because like that's a way when you're telling a story, especially if you're telling it to a big group who's listening, you're going to have confidence. Okay, I made it to that point and keep going. And that's okay, too, because uh, people sometimes think they have to switch everything up every time. And you don't. You know, it's just all about your comfort levels. We generally encourage people to memorize bullet points, like to know where you're going, but then to just let it flow in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you talk about that in the book, the memorable. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yes, memorization versus familiarization. Yes. And can you talk about that and how how you can go about better familiar familiarizing yourself with your speech or your story? Right. I mean, one of the things we say is like, look, your story happened to you. You're so you're ultimately not going to forget it. This is, when someone's nervous about forgetting their story, that's a thing that I will say to them. Is like, um, you. Know, I'm trying to think of like. A, you know, some of like our classic stories, like there's this story um, Monty tells about his fiance discovering that she was cheating on him. And then he has this encounter with a bear in the woods in Alaska. It's like, like, you're not going to tell us you got married. You're not going to forget to tell us that you found out your wife had been cheating on you the whole time. You're not going to forget to tell us that you immediately drove into the woods of Alaska to your best friends. You're not going to forget to tell us that you walked out into the woods and had this encounter with a bear who could have killed you. Those are the only things that without them, the story makes no sense. And like for most stories, there's really just, you can usually count on one hand the things that if you forget, the story won't make sense. Everything else is just extra, you know, goodness, you know, if you can, if you can get in there and nail it. So then with that comfort level of knowing what the most important things are, and usually it's only going to be about five things at most, you can just like let yourself flow in the story. One of the things we highly recommend is seeing the story in your head and telling us what you see. Um, Cause that's a way to keep you really engaged and to keep it fresh. Cause if you're picturing it and then telling us about it, 
we're going to, you're pulling us into the story with you, which is a really fun way to listen to a story. Yeah. And another thing that you talk about in there is the importance of uh, details as well as adding yeah. details to things. And so can you talk a little bit about that and even help us figure out what is too much detail versus like, I know yeah, this is the tricky thing, right? Um, I mean, you, we find that specifics around things make a story feel much more real, you know, and interesting. Um, like, you know, to describe, like to tell us colors, smells, you know, set the scene. Um, but what you don't want is to go into a ton of, of details about something that ultimately doesn't support the story. And let me, I know that's, that's sort of a big sentence I just said. Um, so, you know, if you were telling a story about, um, I don't know, getting to a car accident on the way to take your SAT, um, you would probably want to tell us, you know, that when the car went off the road, it went up on the side and the front windshield broke in and everything for the, all the glass went into the back, especially if later you're going to tell us that you had to dig your number two pencil and like the little, I'm dating myself. Anyway, the little <laughs> piece of paper out of the broken glass in the back with the dirt. Um, when you fundamentally did make it to the SATs. Do you know, but you don't necessarily need to tell us that you got out of bed that morning, you drank coffee, you found your purse, you opened the door to your car. You, know, you can just start driving down the road <laughs> on the way to take your SATs. Um, you know, you don't, we don't need to know what, you took this road to this road, but we might want to know that you decided to take a cutoff to save time because you were running late um, and that you were speeding a little bit um, in December with like black ice on the road, or, you know, like, you know, you, you want like the, your black ice on the road is much more specific than just, you know, um, it, it also maybe like sets a little feeling of ominous for when we're, when you're driving faster and faster and faster, we're like, is something going to happen? Um, so it's like finding the details that help pull us in to what fundamentally most matters to you, but not listing off every single thing that happened because then you might lose your listener a little bit. Does that mm -hmm. help? Yeah. It's tricky, yep. this one. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to something uh, that you mentioned earlier. You talked about adding surprise to your story. Yeah. And so how how can we go about, because surprise is obviously going to keep, pe keep people more engaged. How can we do that better in our stories? That's an interesting question. I have to think about how to answer, answer that. I mean, I think you, you definitely want to look for organic surprises within your story and not put something in like just for the sake of surprising people. Mm -hmm. uh, but the element of surprise can be fun and figuring out when to drop something in can be very fun. Um, like, oh God, sorry, I'm having trouble answering this one. Oh, that's okay. Oh, sorry. You are, this is where you are. I said to, I said to Meryl, I'm like, this poor, I was like, I was like, we were having, I never normally do interviews a day for a show because it's the book launch. I was like, oh my God, I want, I, I love his show. I want to be so bright. I wish you tell for yeah. but I'm a little bit um, with my brain. Um, God, it's annoying because I feel like it's a really good question. So I'm sorry. I don't know. Perfect. That's okay. How to find your surprise. Um, hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm struggling with this one. Nope, that's okay. You stumped me. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing that I, I wanted to ask about that. I'm trying to think. I think we just say it's great if you can have some, but we don't tell you how to. That's uh, for volume two. Yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you about is 
how can you tell whether or not that's something that happened to you is a good story to tell or whether or not it's just something that happened to you? I would say because you want to find stories where to me, the most interesting stories are ones where after the events of the story, you saw life a little differently or something shifted for you because otherwise we definitely have a category story where we'll say like this thing happened and if even bigger, I can't remember if we write about this in the book or not, but we say this, this bad thing happened. Lots and lots and lots of people pitch us stories about a bad thing that happened. And I don't mean to sound cold about this, but mm-hmm. in order to really elevate it into something that you might want to write about or perform, you need to be able to go a little bit deeper and figure out why this thing that was tough was so important to you that you wanted to tell about it. I mean, even like really extreme stories, like we have a guy named Warren who lost his legs. He was hiking and this gigantic boulder fell down the mountain and landed on his legs. This is in rural Australia. So it took 24 hours, maybe 48 for them to get even, got to hike all the way back down two days. And then it's amazing he even lived. Even a story like that, what it really was about was him growing up, not being that athletic, discovering his own athleticism and the freedom in that. And then his freedom is taken away when he loses his legs and then finding it again. He's now the guy who like hikes mountains, you know, just pulling himself up. And, you know, he's like the most unbelievable athlete. And so he had to find himself again in this new reality. And that is what I think makes that story really pop. You know, even though a lot of people would be interested in hearing like how he survived in this mountain for 48 hours with a boulder across his legs. But I think the story elevates even more because of what it meant to Warren to find, to figure out a way to be an athlete again on the other side of it, having discovered his own inner athlete when he was actually like late in his teens. Mm-hmm. So that where would you, be one example. Yeah. No, I, I just wanted to ask, where do you see like people are most underprepared whenever it comes to telling their stories? I mean, I think we've all sat through some very bad wedding toast, right? (laughs) (laughs) Where people get up there and they make the mistake of having too much to drink before because they're nervous. And then they kind of go on and on and on. Um, I also think that people tend to get a little um, inside baseball in wedding toast. And there's all these references that for like 90% of the audience, they're not going to get. But there's always a way to to set up the reference so that your audience actually understands it and, and they're in on the joke with you. So that's one place. I also think you hear sometimes like really hard stories that when people are giving eulogies because people are so broken up. And one of the things we talk about in the book is like, you need time to really wrap your head around, you know, how you want to tell a story, especially if it's something tough, you might need a little emotional distance. And when it's a sudden death, you have had no time. And so how can you, find a way. And one of the things I would recommend is like shorter is always better in these cases. Think of a handful of examples that really, you know, show who the person is. Um, I can have a funny story about my own mother's funeral where you know, the, the slam stories are five minutes. And I actually started out as a slammer at the moth telling open my slam stories. And so I don't know the minister was a real, I was a real jerk at my mother's wedding. And he didn't want me to give a eulogy. I think he was just used to giving this like blah, blah, churchy, boring thing. It was in North Carolina. I was so annoyed. We were already a little at odds because he had tried to you know, convince my mother that she was never going to see me again because I was going to hell because you know, I didn't believe. So we were already, I was, he was not a friend. And so he's like, please keep it to five minutes. 
can you believe it's my mother's funeral? I go out, I do my eulogy, which I had time to five minutes. I walk off and he's like, 501. Oh my God. He was timing me. But I was able to give my mother's eulogy in five minutes, you know, because I was so I have such a five minute internal clock. But the truth is, I think shorter is better in some of these situations because um, it's just less time that you have to be up there and be vulnerable. Um, and if you could just pick a few examples, you're gonna you're gonna be actually be able to represent the person better and feel better yourself. Hmm. Uh, another thing that I wanted to go back to is I would love to hear from you of how do you capture or even reflect on like on your own stories as you know, you're preparing or you're even like refining your stories or, you know, you're going about life and you go, okay, I think that, I think that might be a story. What's your process look like for that? Yeah. Well, I think that um, if there's people out there like trying to think of their own stories, I think that I often think that when something happens to you, especially if it's like something kind of big or fun, you're like, oh, this is going to be a story I'm going to tell. And to like as quickly as you can get it, you know, start reflecting about it, start thinking about, you know, where you are at the start of it, like where you, you want to start the story um, and then where you are at the end of it. You know, I mean, I feel like I keep saying the same thing over and over, but that is like, if you can find that intro and outro, that's going to help you, you tell it, you know, I, for me, it's also like when I, something happens and I tell someone a story about it and it becomes a story that's kind of in my repertoire my poor husband, he's like, gets so sick of my stories, but, um, you know, I will, I can pay attention to when like someone glazes over a little bit or, Oh, that's a little bit of a boring part. Skip over that. You know, it's like when you're first telling it, really pay attention to your audience is one thing I would say. Um, cause you'll, I think over time telling stories, just like at parties in our own life, you'll learn to streamline them. If you just, if you, if you really are, even as you're talking, if you're not just like in your own little bubble, but paying attention to the reaction you're getting around you. Uh, one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about is, you know, you hear, you've heard so many stories, thousands of stories throughout your life. And I would love to hear, what do you see that separates like the, the storytellers who are still pretty good versus the storytellers that are like elite or they are like the best of the best. What do you see that those types of storytellers tend to focus on or they get uh, maybe more right than wrong at? Yeah, I mean, like these are like the true raconteurs, right? We all know them. It's somebody who leaves the house to go get a bottle of milk and they come back and they have the most riveting story um, where you have other people who can have like the most epic thing happen to them and they struggle to tell it. Um, I think that often great storytellers are people who see, like have a lot of joy in the world. Um, the number one quality of a great moth director is curiosity, being curious about other people. And I think great story, storytellers are curious about themselves and they're curious about the world. Um, like someone like you mentioned, Matthew Dix, who you having him on the show. Um, Matt is somebody who any, he, as he just goes through his days, he's very self-aware, he's observing himself. When something happens, he's always sort of noticing it, noticing what, how he's feeling, how other people around him are reacting. Um, and then he sits in his, Matt brain and really I think I don't know if easily if he makes it seem easy I'm sure it's not like was able to dig pretty deep into himself about what this actually means what is this connected to why is this something this moment that he's had is something he's still thinking about and I think the real great the truly great storytellers in the world do that you know they have ability to see 
to notice something and to connect dots, which is how you can take like a little story about going to the store to, to, to get milk and turn it into something that's really about how you feel about your family or, you know, yeah. some much bigger thing. And not everyone can do that. But every, anyone can tell a story though. I will say, that. yeah. 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 Anyone, anyone could tell a story. Anything else that just stands out to you from like the elites? I think that almost every single like truly brilliant storyteller of the moth who tells stories again and again, the one thing they have in common is their willingness to be vulnerable. Um, we are very Brene Brown at the moth with vulnerability. Um, it is the, one of the only ways you can really bomb at the moth is to go out and try to tell a story about how you save the day and you're the best. Um, the best storytellers are always willing to make themselves the butt of the joke. They're always willing to admit that they messed up or to start in a spot where they were struggling with a decision or struggling with a problem that they needed to solve. And they're willing to talk about it. Like when you think about like some of the great storytellers of our time, even writers, they're the ones who are really willing to dig in and explore their pain and explore their darkness and pull it out into the light for everyone to see. And then when you, they do that, we all feel less alone, you know, cause like that's what our, it's like our missteps are what make us interesting. It's also what connects us to each other mm-hmm. versus like, if you're telling the story about being a hero and saving the day, it's not nearly, I think it's rarely as interesting and if you look at the people who tell again and again, it's people who are, it's like, you know, Monty, who was willing to go out there and talk about discovering that his ex-wife had been cheating on him the entire time. And they're living in a small town in Alaska and everyone knew it, right? That's like one of the details is he realizes that everyone living in this community must have known. And he was just like the chomp who didn't realize. Um, and when you, when you think about that, it's, you know, Danielle Smith, who went on stage last night, you know, the first female editor of Vibe magazine, you know, with the youngest black females to ever be the editor in chief of a magazine, maybe like the first, I, I should know that, but anyway, she's amazing. Her first story was about being the editor of Vibe and she's seen at the Mesa Grill and Foxy Brown calls and says that she's driving a message grill and she's going to kick her ass. And it's her having to stand off in a bathroom with Foxy Brown. And one of the details that makes the story so beautiful is that her intern is there. So she doesn't want to look bad in front of her intern. Like she's being, you know, cause she was like 30 years old, you know, um, and the story she told last night, which is about becoming a music writer, starts out with her living in Oakland, having dropped out of college, so poor that she's putting together quarters to pay her rent. And so then when you come all the way around and she's written as a young person, the lead story in like the main San Francisco paper at the time, you're just cheering for her. And it's because she's willing to tell you that she was pulling, you know, quarters out of the couch to pay her rent. And no one can imagine that being real for Danielle Smith, but it was. And so you're just so with her. So I think that the truly great storytellers are always willing to go deep into their darkest sort of boo-boo and explore it. Mm. That even got me thinking about just the role that emotion can play in our own storytelling. Can you talk about that a little bit about how, and even how, um, you know, it, it takes, like I found in myself, it takes me a little bit longer to like to, I, to get into my emotions and figure out what I'm feeling. And so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, accessing emotion, putting it like out there as a part of your story, all of that. Yeah. I mean, accessing emotion is really important. And I mean, one way to do it is to really 
put yourself back in the time of the story. Like one of the things I students have storytellers do if they're struggling with it, to access the emotion is to tell the story in the present tense, even if they're not going to on stage, but just say it as if it's happening moment to moment, because it will just put you in. You also can like write down tons of details of what happened in the story, even if you're not going to put any of it in the story because it's too much, but just to viscerally bring yourself back into it is, is one, one thing. You can also talk to friends. Um, I do this sometimes. I'll be like, what do you remember about me? What was I like then? What was I da, da, da? Do you remember? What did I say to you right after that happened? Because they may remember details that you've kind of blocked out or that you, you don't, that aren't a part of how you tell it, but that would, if you could access, would help it be more real to you right now. Um, and sometimes you're ready to tell your story because sometimes people want to tell a story, but they're just not quite ready to tell it because the emotion is too much. And we talk about like, what are some of the signs? And one is like, well, we have no problem with people crying at the mock, but if every time you start to tell your story, you start crying and you cry all the way through the story, you probably need to spend some more time processing your own emotions it's like you never want a story to feel like therapy. Um, you want to feel like you're on stage and in command of it. Even if you like lose control for a moment, if you tear up, if you have a moment, you have to pause. That's fine. People are always afraid of that, that they'll get tear up enough to stop. No one cares. The audience will just love you more. They'll totally wait for you. Moth audiences, by the way, are the greatest audiences <laughs> in the world. They're so warm and loving. But sometimes, like, you know, it's also like if you're if a storyteller is like blowing off our calls. <laughs> And avoiding us, you know, they, they keep, you know, oh, I forgot we were supposed to talk. That can be a sign that it's just too painful for them. And even though they think they want to do it, they're not quite ready. So um, we try to make the moth a really safe space for people. And sometimes people are on the 10-year plan with us. Like, he wouldn't mind me talking about this. John Turturro um, first started coming to the moth, like, I think 10 years before he told the story. And I always wanted to tell a story. And he's like, yeah, 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 maybe one day, one day. And then finally we got on the phone and he's like, okay, the reason I've been putting you off is because there's a story that I really think I should tell for you, but I wasn't sure I was ready to tell it. And I was like, okay, well, do you want to try to just tell it to me? And you have my word. I'll never tell anybody. And if you decide you don't want to tell it, it'll end here with us, but you, you'll, you can see and then hang up and then see how you feel the next day. Like if you have a vulnerability hangover, we call it, where you feel like you overshared, then maybe we don't keep going. And so he told me the story which he did ultimately tell him off stage, which is about the difficulty. He came sort of came out to the world as admitting to his brother what had been living for years in a middle hospital. And the story takes place on the blackout of 2003 and with him driving to, to pick up his mother and then go get his brother and like take him out for the day and everything that happens. And he just had never talked about this, um, but he had been feeling like he wanted to, and it was really important. And so the fact he, he's now, I think has incorporated this work into his art, into some of the you know, work, the scripts he's writing, things he's doing, but he really had to get to the point where he felt comfortable. I mean, especially, you know, being famous, like you have, everybody's mm -hmm. like always after. Um, and I certainly didn't want him to get up there and tell a story that he wasn't ready to tell, but I could tell when he told it to me that he, was like taking that step and I was happy when he decided to do it. But that's the thing is like, you might want to like, if you're worried about whether or not you're ready to tell it, you might want to try telling it to a close friend first and see how that feels 
just to test the waters. Hmm. Yeah. Can you, can you, and again, this is, this is more of my, like, I'm guessing what probably happened. I bet you a lot of people probably experience freedom from, yeah from, from telling their stories. Can you talk about that? And even just the importance of like, I love what you were saying about the 10 year plan of like, you may not be able to today, right. but three years from now you can, can you talk about like work, working through that and the, yeah, just working through that. Yeah. I mean, really like sometimes it, it just takes people some space to think that we, that they're ready. And sometimes people have other reasons. Like they might have their own mm-hmm. fears. Like we have a beautiful story told by Jeremy, who was a guard in Guantanamo. And he was just really never trained to do this. It was just like thrown in. And it was like many, many years, he called our pitch line. He got on the phone with Meg Bowles, who's like one of my co-authors. And they had lots of conversations, but he was actually really afraid he could get in trouble with the military. I mean, there were some real issues there. And um, he just, it took him a while to determine that it was gonna be something positive he felt for him, for the other people he had worked with. And certainly for like this particular prisoner he, he was talking about was a way to get his story out too. Um, and so like, there's an example, but you know, we write about this in the book at rehearsal. He actually got up to tell his story and was so overcome that he kept having to stop. And then this is just a one of his classic mom moments. Kathleen Turner, the actress was actually in the show. And she just like leans in, you, you know, she's like a formidable presence. And she's like, you got to just shake it out, Jeremy, shake it out. And so he shook it out. We all stood up. We shook it out. <laughs> we sat back down and he told his story. And it was just so amazing, you know, how she just like knew exactly what he needed. Um, and then he went out on stage, you know, two nights later and just brought the house down and was so lovely. Um, and so, yeah, it's, sometimes it just takes people... A while and I'm always willing to wait. I mean, one of the luxuries of the moth being as big as it's gotten, you know, that we have a little bit more budget is that if somebody wants to talk to me about their story once a year for seven years, I can accommodate that because I don't have like just two people in a room trying to cast 50 stories, thank God. So I'm always willing to just like take it slowly with somebody. And we don't generally like assign them to a show until we're sure that they feel really confident and ready to do it. Mm, yeah. You know, one, one of the things that we uh, mentioned a little bit offline is you talked about uh, truth as well yeah. and the importance of truth as it pertains to um, not only telling our stories, but even listening to other people's stories. And I would just love for you um, just to talk a little bit about that and kind of your thoughts on truth and, and storytelling and listening and all of that. Totally. So we're obsessed with truth of the moth. I mean, we, there's like, the cutting room floor of this book is like four more chapters on truth. Our editor was like, guys, <laughs> I mean, no, but um, so people always ask us like, how do you know the stories are true? It's a big question we get. And we, you know, my joke is that we do not have um, the New Yorkers fact checking department. I'm pretty sure their fact checking department is as big as the entire month staff. It was at one point I looked it up, um, but we have a pretty good instinct after listening to thousands of stories and if we start to sense that somebody is exaggerating their story or like making up details, we are really mindful of that because we do the, our best. You know, we, we say in every radio show, you hear our producer Jay Allison says that moth stories are true as remembered by the storyteller. And memory, of course, is a very tricky thing. There's a lot of science that says that when you tell a story, your memory of that incident becomes the story you told and not the actual memory. So the more you tell it, the more, like further and further away from the actual 
you think that you're remembering it more because you're telling it, but in some ways you're just remember the telling, remembering the telling, if you're following that, it's like a little bit complicated. But um, so, yeah, so it's something we take really seriously. We've occasionally found out after the fact this story was untrue, we take it right down um, when we hear that. It's only happened like maybe three times. I've been at the moth 20 years. Um, so it's really rare. Um, we actually had it in the book and then took it out. We had a really heartbreaking situation where it was a guy who claimed to be a Vietnam vet in this very elite program told this heartbreaking but stunning story about it. And when the story went out of the, over the air, all of these guys who were in that unit wrote in and said, we don't know that guy. Hmm. And we actually heartbreaking, speaking of mental illness, we, we've never been able to track him down again. We're convinced that at least in his mind, it was true. I don't think he was yeah. trying to make something up and, you know, is it possible, you know, was he like in the army? Like, was he in a different, like just something in his brain flipped, but it was, the details were so uncanny. It just feels hard to believe that it was entirely made up because we couldn't track him down. We had to take it down. Now the opposite can be true too. Um, this is like the story that I'm most sad got cut for the book is Jennifer Hickson. My co-author was working with a woman who was like, Gosh, like I think in her 80s, it was a story. We sometimes do um, shows for Barner's graduation here in New York. And she had this story about being at like, I want to say it was like, yeah, World War II. Like it was around that time. And they all, there was like some like little cocktail party with soldiers. And they get a little bit drunk. And the guy she's with is like, let's take the plane up. And she's like, okay, she's in a ball gown. They get in the plane. They just take off like from the base. They're flying around. And all of a sudden something goes horribly wrong with the plane and they had to put on parachutes and bail out. And they did. And they survived the plane crash. They lost the plane. And we were like, there is no way. Guess what? Every bit of it fact check true. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. I was like, I cannot even, I was still so sad that that story's not in the book, but you know, uh, but yeah, but we really, we think of it a lot. Like what is truth? And we write in the, book too a lot about like look you know my husband is like i call it the lizard brain he's like very literal so it's like he, you know he's the guy who's like no that couch isn't hot pink it's fuchsia what yeah he's very um so you can i always we it's fine to take liberties like that it's also fine like say your story takes place over you know something to do with going to church and it really happened on four different Sundays. That's a little bit messy. So the next Sunday, so the next Sunday, unless there's a build with the Sundays, it could just be that you make everything happen in one Sunday school lesson. You know, like that's the thing that I think is totally fair as far as like not drowning your audience in too much detail, but you don't want to lie about like what something meant to you. You don't want to um, lie like you don't want to make up a person who didn't exist because I think the audience can sense it. I think that audiences are smart. And if there's, and if you are insincere, they will ultimately sense it in you. And they might not walk away saying, Oh, I don't believe him, but they will walk away feeling like they didn't really love your story and they won't know why it's because they thought that you weren't really there because you weren't. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about that you write about in the book is you talk about the role of humor as well, yeah. which comes really easy to some people. And for people like myself is a little bit more difficult of trying to get it just right. And so I would just love some of your thoughts on how can we add humor into our, um, into our stories, even though yeah. um, we may not be naturally good at it. 
Okay, this is gonna be a very annoying answer, but this is it. You have to just be yourself. You cannot try to be, if you're not microbiglia, you know, if you're not, you know, I'm just saying some of the greatest, you know, Tignataro, don't try to be them. Um, you know what makes your mom laugh, your best friend laugh. You know, that is the humor that you want to bring into your story. Um, I think where people go wrong is when they try to force something, you know, everyone wants to be funny at the moth. Like that's, this makes us crazy. Like everyone. Um, and actually, you know, some of the funniest people in the world don't. And they want to take a string of their jokes and find a story that will just sort of tape them all together. But the story is there just to serve their jokes for truly great raconteurs and true storytellers as most comedians have a story and the only jokes that go into it are the ones that truly support the story they're organic to the story my Birbiglia talks about this in our book and he talks about it like in his life in general if you how you know you don't want jokes that are there just for the sake of the joke because it just like stops the whole narrative and it takes you out of the story and then you have to bring pull the person back in and so whatever is going to be true and organic to you, like it's better to just get a few gentle laughs than to be in there trying to imitate your super funny friend and then having it fall flat and have them come out of the story. So just have the confidence to be yourself. Because um, I mean, I've never met anyone who's not a little bit funny, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like you've made me laugh many times in this interview. We, we just met. So, um, so just like knowing, it seems like you have a little bit of a shy you know, all shucks humor, just having, again, known you for 45 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, so I would want you, if I was directing mystery, to lean into that as opposed to trying to be like, you know, to tell a wacky joke or yeah. like, you know. Um, but yeah, because because just like the best jokes are the ones that like feel organic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could also try to like bring out, like if you think something's funny, you could try to tell us why you thought it was funny. Like mm-hmm. that's another way to maybe get more humor in. It's like to tell us what you thought was funny about it. Cause we'll probably think it's funny too. Okay, cool. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is uh, pra- practice tips as well. And yeah. uh, I have one specifically that I want to ask you about, and then uh, I'll let you elaborate. Um, but you talked about not having, or in the book, you guys talked about not having uh, practice. Don't practice too close to your speech or don't practice yeah. too close to your story. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, a cautionary tale, <laughs> which is not in there is I have a storyteller who had to miss rehearsal. And so she came to a little storyteller dinner that was right before the show and told her story to everyone over dinner. This is at like five 30. The story started, show started at seven and I've only had this happen to me twice in 20 years. She walked on the stage and actually completely blanked out and forgot her story. And I, and I've, I think it had a huge thing to do with the fact that she had just told it an hour and a half before. Cause one of the things that, ha- that happens if you like just tell it over and over and over obsessively is that you walk out on stage and you are so sure that you've just said something cause you did an hour ago. And then you risk truly leaving out one of those tent poles, one of those big moments. And I can tell you, I learned this the hard way with myself too, is I was once on stage telling a story and it was, it's so embarrassing that I'll tell myself. Um, so I was like setting up that I have this friend 
who constantly misused the word literally. And so, and it drove me crazy. And so I was supposed to set that joke up. And then I would like play with this throughout the rest of the story. I didn't set it up. So then people just thought I was misusing the word literally. I mean, it's, I guess it's what I deserved for making fun of it because I would now feel like that. I would never tell that story now because I feel like it was a little mean-spirited, um, which is not even my style in life, much less on stage. Um, and like I feel like I was very like the aggrieved person in the story. We would never let anybody go out and do that at the moth. Um, so it's funny that I did, but, but, but it was because I was so nervous that I'd been practicing again and again and again. So when I got up there afterwards, Jennifer Hickson, who wrote the, who was one of my co-authors, this is like 18 years ago, 19 years ago. She was like, I didn't really understand how, why you kept using the word literally. I'm like, well, because I set up that blah, 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 always misuse the word literally. She goes, no, you didn't. I was like, oh, I absolutely did. And they were all like, no, you didn't. And I was like, oh no. So like then my jokes didn't even, you know, for the rest of it. And so you, that's the risk that you run in running it too close. So I personally have a rule that nobody can tell it after one o'clock. And I really prefer noon. Like I don't really like to even get close to lunchtime, but in a pinch, I'll let them do it. Um, Cause you just want it. You at that point also, you just have to have the confidence that you've practiced and you're going to remember it. And so you want it to be able to breathe and you want it to feel fresh again so that you can see all the scenes and tell us about it when you're on stage. Mm -hmm. And what time do moths uh, usually start just for context? Cause you said not after Usually around seven o'clock. Okay. So like, like seven, seven thirty. six yeah. hours, some six, seven hours, something like that. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Any other like helpful tips or stuff for uh, yeah. practicing? So when you're thinking about a story and you kind of have a rough outline, um, I would suggest the first thing is like, tell it to a friend. And we jokingly, I think we call something else in the book because apparently you're not supposed to say this, but I'm just going to, I, I call it the free to suck version where you've decided basically the story you're going to tell. And then the idea is to just like, bleh, you know, to just, I say that you're just bushwhack your way through it mm -hmm. because there's something very empowering about saying the entire thing out loud in order. And you might have a little outline of bullet points. It's okay to look at it, but just have a trusted friend and get through it. Have them time you. This is especially like a wedding toast or something like that. Because most people, what they think is 10 minutes is 20 in my experience. And I have a lot of it at this point. And what most people think is three minutes is 10. And so, but if you could just like get through it, first of all, the fact that you've made it through, you're going to be so much more confident, even if it just, if you're just like pushing through trying to get through, then you could turn around and tell it again an hour later. It's going to be so much smoother. Usually people cut like about a third of it out just for having told it again and being a little bit more confident. Um, and so that's what I would say is like, you know, like, know that the very first time you tell it, it might, it probably should be rough. And then just like tell it a few more times because you're going to get more and more comfortable is like, it's definitely like a thing. And like saying it out loud is really important. You can't just say it in your head um, because it feels different coming out your mouth. It just does. And so like tell it to the mirror, tell it to you. You could also record yourself doing it. I do this a lot more now. Cause like, it's a little, I get nervous recording a story for myself. It's weird. Like I'm the only one who's going to listen to it, but I'm like, Oh, I did it last night. Cause I introduced the show last night and I was walking. There's just like wandering aimlessly, nervously around the theater district before my call time. And I decided to pull up my phone and press record. And just like, I was talking on the phone, but I was actually just walking along telling my story to myself. And just knowing I was recording it, I was stumbling I was struggling. I, it took me two minutes to tell it. And I'm pretty sure that like the final was probably like a minute 15. 
Um, but, but it's like that you need to get out of your mouth once. Cause you don't want that first to be like in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that we've covered a lot of different things today, but is there anything just top of mind that you're just thinking about that you want to make sure that we, um, talk about or mention? I just want to encourage everyone to tell their stories. You know, I, my favorite reader of this book is going to be someone who gets it thinking they have no stories at all to tell and finishes it realizing they have so many And, you know, like, you don't have to want to tell your stories on stage, just like to be more aware of who you are as a human being, right? Um, To connect more deeply with your friends and family. We have lots and lots of tips and tricks in the book about, you know, ways to use storytelling, like, for instance, with your family, like Sarah Austin Janess, who's one of my co-authors, talks about um, her grandfather had dementia um, towards the end of his life, and she and her aunt took this box of photos and put it in his lap. And he just, and I actually did this with my great aunt too, when she was 99 and just put the photo and just like, say, tell me what you remember about this photo. And all of a sudden, all these stories were pouring out of him, things they had never heard before. Um, things like all of a sudden this wry sense of humor he had came back and they hadn't seen that in a while. Um, and so that's the thing is like, if you're dealing with someone who's elderly is, People always want to videotape, but sometimes that can make people really uncomfortable. So consider audio, just like we all we all have these recording devices on our phone. Just put the, you know, the audio somewhere just out of reach and hold up pictures. Um, Suzanne Rust, who is our curator, um, a dear member of our team, she talks about how every year she lost her parents young and her kids you know, barely didn't know one and barely knew the other. And so every year on their birthdays, they make their favorite food, their favorite drinks, and they sit around telling stories about her parents. And so now her grown children can tell her the stories back to her, even though they weren't there to witness them. So that's another way to bring storytelling in your life. Um, We also, Michelle from my team talks about how after her father died, she was like super religious. So they didn't have a big funeral or anything that anyone could attend because she ended up inviting a ton of us. I was very honored to be there over to her house, all of her friends. And she stood up and just told a five minute story about her dad. And then had everyone go around and tell a little bit, one minute story about something we remember about our fathers or that we learned from our fathers. And it was so, we all just like floated away, you know, feeling like we knew each other so much better. So that's a way to bring it in. Um, So I would just say like, even if you think that you're not you have no goals. Like basically like if your nightmare is to be on stage of the moth, which I understand uh, a lot of people feel that way. Um, I think there's a lot of other places that storytelling could really enrich your life. And I hope we've written this book in a way that could help you find that. Well, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you, Catherine, you know, get the book, how to tell a story and the moth. Where's the best place for people to go to do all of those things? I was go to our website, themoth.org. That is the best way. You can sign up for our mailing lists. We don't send out a ton of emails. It's um, they go by city. Like there's the overall national list that you can get on if you just want like the biggest headline news. But you can also look and see if there are moths in your city, and you can sign up for those cities mailing list. And then anything that we anytime we're coming to that city, we'll let you know. Um, I mean that is really just the best way to do it. You know, of course we're like on the Facebook, on the Instagram, etc. Um, but all of that is, you know, the, the website is like the heart and soul of the moth. And if you go there, you can just like find about out about all things moth. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and thanks for doing the work and sharing it with us. Uh, thank you so much. I'm such a fan. No, I'll be out here listening from now on. 
So coming out of that conversation, I think one of my big things, and it's really just a good reminder from it, is just the idea that everybody has a story and everybody has stories that they could tell. And I think for me, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to do a lot more lately is adding more reflection into my life. And for me, just realizing, am I capturing the stories that are happening to me? Because, and not necessarily that something huge happens, you know, every single day of my life. My my life is, uh, you know, I love my life and I love how things are going right now, but it's not like every single day I'm having uh, a tremendous adventure or anything like that. But am I paying attention to what is happening in my life? Am I paying attention to uh, some of the things that are happening to me and what I'm going through? And am I uh, allowing myself to feel uh, through the emotions as well that that brings up? Because it's through our emotions that reveals the tension in our story and reveals the the challenge um, that we're going through. And I think the... um, And I think probably the other one is that uh, what you talked about of leaving, uh, leaving out the, and here's the lesson or, and here's what I learned through that thing and finding different ways to communicate that. And I guess even just trying to find different ways of, um, of communicating the truth. And I think maybe the other thing is, is that not every story has to have a point. And, and by that, I mean, not every story has to have necessarily a lesson in it, or maybe we don't have to force feed the lesson. I don't know. There's a lot of different things that I'm thinking about from this conversation and stories is just going to be something that we continue to you know learn about and talk about on the podcast because it's something that i'm very interested in learning more about now if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to leave a rating and write a review on whatever podcast player you you use if you have an idea a subject or a person that you would love us to talk with or learn more about on the podcast please reach out to me at learners corner podcast at gmail.com and i would love to hear from you regarding that and i think that's all that i have for today i do want to say thanks to sam massey for creating the music for this podcast thank you to Catherine for being on the podcast as well and for um just all the work that she does with the with the moth as well and just uh hearing other people's and honoring other people's stories and helping them uh shape those and become better storytellers as well And yeah, thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast too. That's all that I have for today. My name is Caleb Mason and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.